Hi, good evening everyone. Uh, welcome to Research with NJ. Uh, my name is Namun Jain and you are here with, uh, with Major Lovepreet Singh. So, would you please care to introduce yourself, please? Uh, hi, Naman. Thank you for having me on this podcast. I am Major Lovepreet Singh. I am a doctor in the Indian Army and a part of the Army Medical Corps. I have been serving for the past five years and uh, I'm happy to be here. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, I mean, for doing this. And uh, I just want to start with our conversation with the most elementary question that would be, what is it to be like a doctor in the Army, uh, Army Medical Corps? Uh, being a doctor in Armed Medical Corps is a bit different from what you have uh, in a private practice. First of all, you get commissioned as an officer either in two ways. Either you can uh, get in through AFMC where you get all your basic medical training and uh, you get a degree of MBBS and then you are directly commissioned into the Armed Medical Corps. But the second thing that I went through is I did it through a civil medical college. I completed my MBBS from Bareilly and then I uh, uh, gave an interview through uh, Army Medical Corps uh, Short Service Commission. Okay, that SSC basically. SSC. Alright. So that is where we entered, that is when I came into this Army uh, life and I am a first generation Fauji, we don't have any contacts. <laughs> oh yes. Then, my father is also a doctor and uh, but he is a civil practitioner for the last 40 years. He is a legend, I mean like. Uh, I mean, I have known him since my childhood. I mean, yeah. I was born in front of him. So, I know he's a legend and, and Auntie G is basically, she's also a doctor. She's also a and doctor. again, a legend, a living legend so far. Thank you for your kind words, but the only thing that got us driving through, towards this uh, army was that one thing, I wanted to don this uniform. I had a craze for it and I just wanted to have it once. So that is when I entered uh, in army in 2018, August of 2018 and was commissioned as a lieutenant then got promoted to being a captain and now for the past three months I am a major. That's great. That's great. Uh, answering your question ki how that life is in uh, army, it depends on what stage of that service you are. When you are commissioned. So you do not know the ways of army, you are not really familiar with the ranks, you are not really familiar with the uh, paperwork that is supposed to be done because it, because it is completely different from civil. In civil you don't have that rank structure, you don't have those leniencies or that discipline or uh, to follow through with your patients and everything. But here in army everything is documented, everything is in black and white. Okay. If it is not documented then for you and for any other concerned person it did not happen or it does not matter. So that is what you learn for the first three months of your... Uh, the basic training basically. Basic training, experience when you just come into the army. army. Then they start trusting you, your seniors start trusting you and then they you know, let you fly free. Now you can be a medical officer who is completely in charge of a particular section of section. that hospital where you can be independently uh, told to be uh, responsible for this paperwork or some board of some inquiry or buying stuff or something for the hospital so that is when they have that trust on you so then after doing that once I was promoted to a captain now that was that first stage when we were learning of course it was hectic but it was completely professional my life being a officer in the army a doctor in the army is 50% being a doctor and 50% being an officer and both of those roles have some particular uh, responsibilities and tasks that are varied upon you. During this first stage I was more inclined towards that doctor part of my life because it was all related to that professional thing I am catering to patients, I am learning about those medications, how to work on those case sheets, what to write, what not to write, how to refer a patient to a different hospital and all these things. But uh, then we move on to another part. Once I was that is the officer part of it. Yes. When I was promoted to a captain, then uh, we are sent for a training uh, in which we are not taught about medical because we have already. Ah, we have, you, you know medical basically, so there is no point. So we have that degree and uh, they that MBBS degree is vouching for us that yes, they can handle a patient. That is a different thing. 
but during that course of seven weeks we learn uh, combats hand to hand combat we learn uh, how to fire a weapon how to handle a weapon then the structure of army then when we are going into any infantry unit or any armored unit or any artillery unit we are supposed to know how that hierarchy is going on going on what brigade what is a brigade then how uh, what brigade has how many units how how many how platoons and everything so everything. the structure is basically because known to you is taught to you yeah yes because that. of the difference in the background because they are fighting units they are supposed to know these things you coming from a medical unit a medical background so it takes time and they have a specialized course for you yes so that course is known as a medical officer basic course where we learn about all of these things so that is when you start shifting from being a doctor to more to being an officer, officer. so that is when you understand what is the uh level of responsibilities that the stars that are present on your shoulders the weight that they carry that is when it starts to come up because right now i am a doctor and i am in a hospital and there are people watching for me if i am in a crackle i know somebody can come and help me but then when you become an officer and you go into a regiment when you are the regimental medical officer and you are the only sole medical person who is responsible for the health of those 600 700 people so that is where you begin to understand the responsibility you have to all those people who are donning the uniform with you that family you have with you so at that point of time being a doctor is more like being an officer people can come to you and talk to you regarding all the problems they are having because we are in places where there are uh, no connectivity connectivity there is nothing, there is nothing literally nothing literally i mean like no connectivity it can be anything i mean like for that matter you, all you have is your family of of soldiers of this 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 regiment true so i'll just describe you a simple i'll try to paint a picture of what it's like being uh, in a field posting or being near the borders or to uh, so we have a uh, let's say 100 people are there so there are about 4 to 5 officers who are responsible for uh catering to every need that is uh, need of the uh, seniors regarding that security uh, need of the administration that what all things we require here for sustenance of the troops for logistics and how to maintain that chain so that nothing is disrupted then uh, of those five doctors one is an engineer and one a doctor so we are five then uh, there are 12 to 13 jcos jcos are junior commissioned officers, officers. who are much more uh, it, they are like a bond between a bridge between the officers and the soldiers soldiers so whatever message is being passed the orders that are being uh, followed are then first commanded by the commanding officer of the unit then given to the officers that are beneath them which are then distributed to jcos and then by jcos they are being implemented through the soldiers soldiers so this is the hierarchy that is being followed in a 100 people uh, platoon i can say so at that time those 100 people are there the rotation carries about in every 3 months but for those 3 months you are with these people without any internet without connect without being able to connect with your family you just are there with each other the food that you have you are sharing the same food there is nothing special being delivered for jcos or nothing special being delivered for officers and something is not being given to the junior ranks it is nothing like that because at that point everybody is a family i think one family one food one food one family one food breaking bread together yeah that is what matters at that point in time and living in uh, minus 35 degree celsius and you know everybody is working and everybody is doing their part trying to earn that trust uniform trying to earn that uh, salary that you are getting trying to earn that respect that everybody has in those republic day parades and independence day parades that yes this is the armed forces these are the soldiers of our country so that is how it begins but then again uh, being a doctor in the army at that state of point is more difficult than any other thing because uh, civil doctors never go through this thing at that point you have bone breaking 
climates you have very less supply of medication you do not have readily available roads even uh, evacuating a patient or evacuating a casualty through air although we have the provisions for it and uh, it is being carried very uh, beautifully but sometimes the weather is not very Support helpful is, yeah true so in minus 35 i think the altitude the where people serve the indian army server the armed forces serve it's, it's not that easy for anyone i mean that is why i think that is the differentiation between civilians and the soldiers so they have to serve the country they have to serve the unit they have to serve under the command because they are protecting the borders i feel true, true. and for the medical corps i think it's it's more important because they have to keep them safe they have to keep them healthy and plus i think the psychological traumas that they go through every so they have to you know be there for every everyone mm-hmm. and you know sometimes what i i i feel i mean interacting with you is that you know like you have to keep your own problems own traumatized uh, traumatic uh, issues aside that's right and you have to be there for them first it's exactly like looking in the mirror one day you are thinking that you are missing your family and you are sitting there talking to a, a fellow officer that yes yaar i'm missing uh, sitting with my dad and sitting missing the people you love and then next day a person is coming to your clinic and uh, he is sitting in front of you he is not able to eat he is not having his food regularly and he is not drinking plenty of water which is a very important thing in high altitude area so uh, we ask him what's the problem and he is telling you the same thing that you were talking to the fellow officer just a day back so yes it's kind of being straight forward and just knowing that yes you are not the only one who's going through these mental traumas or mental things and it is some it is some other person who is looking up to you having the same problems and is asking you for a solution so it kind of helps you too it makes you uh, a bit stronger and knowing that fact that there is someone who is trusting you with his problems and he is looking up to you for a solution so why can't you find a solution for yourself if he is benefiting from your answers then you have to benefit from that too is it slapping in uh, seeing in the mirror and slapping yourself is is a good way to keep up from such traumatic problems it's not exactly slapping it it's i mean like i i do practice sometime because you know like you, you my life gets monotonous right okay. it, it it's just on a one dimensional path and like you get bored and you don't know what and you start to make mistakes okay. so how do you get back so my go to thing is like okay start talking see yourself in the mirror and start talking to yourself so you need expert like who is more expertise has expertise better than you for yourself yeah. so what i do is like i i check myself in the mirror i start talking and then i sometimes know that this is wrong and there are certain moments that i need to you know slap myself okay like okay this is wrong this shouldn't have happened mm-hmm. so and that keeps me alive in that moment trying to recognize certain things that shouldn't have happened or shouldn't be happening in future as well sure. so is that a possible possible solution to certain some of the problems that you might have seen uh, to be very honest uh, during that tenure of 30 months i served for 30 months in uh, uh, the high altitude area every day was a little bit different from the last one and i would never say that i was i was bored not even a single day trust me on this it's really hard to say because every day there was a new challenge every day there was a new patient every day there was some other new news or some other new order that was to be implemented or some other task that was to be taken care of and no not even a single day we could just say ki we have nothing to do today let's just sit back and oh no i i won't i won't just yeah i mean like i won't i won't see that why wouldn't i mean there be any work or there won't be any new task i mean no. because this is this is what differentiates civilians uh, from soldiers and army medical corps i mean there is challenge the army medical corps is actually a service arms yeah. like we provide service to the people the fighting arms fighting arms comes to be infantry and uh, the mother of 
uh, the armed forces armed forces and uh, that is infantry is the basic unit infantry is the only unit that goes up goes up front and captures the uh, territory even if you raid the territory with air attacks you completely destroy it if infantry is not there then everything you do is zero zero so that is why infantry is one of the most important part of army and then again there comes different arms supporting arms like armored and ye ballistics artillery ballistics and everything so that is support support to the infantry artillery and infantry that that that, that is what uh, supporting arms and we are the service arms so we provide service to these people so that they can perform better or maybe so that even if they uh, slump into a dug and so that we are there to dig them out or to help them gain back their life sometimes and the focus more importantly the focus so as to why they are there what why they are there mainly to maintain them to that kind of health standard so that even in those bone breaking climates and those territories if god forgive if there is some kind of a scenario war scenario and if they need to attack or to defend they should be in that health category so that they can work in those environments it should not be like we have been sitting sedentary for the last 6 months 7 months not expecting that there is a war that is coming up and then when the day comes with when you have to attack and when the day comes when you have to defend you are not able to do it because there was no prior uh, intimation of such kind of such thing. kind of thing. we are already prepared we prepare daily and then we just anticipate that this thing is not going to happen we wish this thing is not going to happen we should i think why not definitely everybody does nobody wants a war nobody wants to fight everybody has even the uh, people of the opposing nations of the uh, territorial uh, oppositions they also have kids they also have a family and if spoken to a soldier to soldier which we have done through uh being on that places nobody wants a war everybody wants to be happy we used to exchange gifts snacks i think that is part of part of some customary stuff it's a regular uh, thing we speak and nobody wants a war that is the gist of it but again we hope for the best but we have to prepare Pray for, for the, the worst absolutely absolutely that is where it so i mean which which makes me come to the next part of our conversation that would be What's the difference between peacetime service and a wartime service? I mean, the main difference is in peacetime you are preparing to be in wartime, and in wartime you are actually implementing the things you have prepared for. The only thing you are there for. The only reason there are peacetime postings is so that a person can refresh, recoup, and regroup. so that a person a unit that was living in let's say uh, pakistan border was there and serving for a long time let's say 3 years so they come back to a peace posting because everybody has the right to be with family right to be Absolutely. with their kids and the right to have that mental pressure released after serving there for 3 years then after they are here then they start preparing more because they have those uh, experience no not that experience having those more facilities you have more gyms here you have better quality of food here you have uh, grounds mean, to run in i mean really i mean food. i mean sorry sorry to interrupt Many i mean i mean i'm not i mean better food how because i mean like i mean this i don't want to emphasize more on this particular but just a line or so i'm like how i mean like uh, better food in the territorial positions rather than the high altitude positions because those high altitude conditions there are some places where when if you see it through logistical chains okay. even uh, it takes through road approximately 18 hours the place where i was it used to take 18 hours for one vehicle to come from the main city oh. and during that travel so that travel uh for 250 kilometers there is not even a single civilization there is no one living there not even ladakhis so all those things to come to have that ration before being spoiled or being endangered somewhere 
getting that carried successfully there is a job which is which is being done beautifully by the uh, army but there are some limitations to those things that fresh ration that dry ration so you cannot have fresh vegetables there daily you cannot have those green leafy vegetables there daily you have dry rations you can get uh, rice chapati you can get uh, pulses cereals which is really nice and you there is something that is provisioned by the government there is something known as special ration that is only available in high altitude areas which includes these luxury chocolates like snickers and um, coconut waters and real juice uh, chavan prash and these are just provided there for morale and for your dietary deficiency that is being caused because you do not have access to fresh fruits and vegetables plus if i am just talking about ladakh the land there is so barren that you cannot even cultivate yourself you cannot grow a plant there in that soil it is not made for it by nature it is not made for it all those hilly areas you go to you go to manali you go to shimla you see beautiful green uh, absolutely yeah uh, trees and everything and that that is there but when you go to ladakh and those uh, forward places where we are uh, during you must remember there must uh, there was a time in 2020 the uh, sad and uh, really horrific time when there was those galwan episodes absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. so the people who were there i have listened to their stories i have uh, personally met them and when they after 6 or 7 months when they came back down when they were coming to their uh, place and they were coming back to their home uh, it was lay when they entered and they saw the first green plant they saw greenery after 6 months and that is something we take for granted in our daily lives right but that particular officer when he told me that story he had tears in his eyes because he had not seen greenery for 6 months and it's really difficult to imagine yeah i mean right? i mean it, i mean we can only imagine as civilians or anyone for that matter that how much that I mean, greenery like, matters yeah, the not just the greenery i mean it is the psychological changes that he might be growing through you know in that shift exactly exactly so that was the story i had so that is why that is the only reason i said you have better quality of food when, right. you, when you come to a peace time then you have better access to gyms plus there is one more very basic thing which we take for granted is oxygen oh absolutely is, high altitude does not have so much of oxygen very scarce the human but uh, the Uh, partial pressure of oxygen that is present in our blood it should be 99 percent yeah okay yeah, but during daily works and everything it is around 85 percent in high altitude which if you are in a if you are in delhi right now and you go to a hospital and you say that yes my spo2 is coming to be uh, 85. 85 right now they'll admit you right away because it is not very good for your lungs for your brain and for your heart to have that kind of oxygen de- uh, deficiency in your blood and still you work but then how we cope up with it is that we have those staging for us to get acclimatized first in stage 1 that is between uh, 9000 to 12000 feet then uh, for 6 days we stay in that area medical is done every day if there is something advice is given reviews are done medications are started then from 9000 to 12000 feet uh, it is sorry this was stage 1 then from uh, 12000 feet to 15000 feet it is stage 2 there four days of acclimatization is done and then above 15000 feet is stage 3 okay so 50000 feet uh, when you cross then you have to day four, four days again this way there are particular exercises particular walks that are supposed to be done so that your body your brain your heart gets acclimatized to those conditions and if though that acclimatization of 14 days is not followed properly there are devastating uh, consequences, consequences to that which we have actually seen a lot of time. i mean only we can only imagine i mean like as we don't we haven't seen it first time we can only imagine what what a soldier might go through what is you know like and in addition to all these things acclimatization to altitude i think the traumatization that he you know has of serving in those high altitudes and you know of not able to speak with the family not to know what the daughter or the son is going through his problems and beyond that 
it's his own problems True. so and then the platoons problems so i mean the sound of it is it's, a, it's very, very this is these are just the hardships that we are counting yeah but then again only i guess if you speak to soldiers who are coming from high altitude delhi there is a flight that comes daily and we just you start talking to them so only 10% or 12% of people will be traumatized the rest of them are actually happy they have a different kind of experience they have done and there is a sense of uh, credibility in them that yes i was there i have done this and that is why they are happy not everybody is traumatized like let me no of course i mean like just i think to say ki like i was there and i uh, worked there and when i was there it all looked hard it all looked like why we are here and what is going on and i wish i could come back and everything but now i am in delhi i have completed that hard posting of mine but the memories the bonds we made there the lessons we learned which i don't think anyone can teach beyond those uh, excruciating circumstances and uh, that is why i am telling ki what we learned what we gathered is still in us and if we still get a chance to go back after recouping ourselves after resting ourselves maybe getting back Why in not? better who won't and go who, who Man, won't I mean, if I if I was supposed to serve in the army and if I had the chance, why I won't say no to anything. I mean, definitely. So that after donning that uniform and after seeing some of the legends, like uh, uh, we have, seen, you must have heard the story of uh, Captain Vikram Batra. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Very. Uh, after that movie, Shersha, everybody knows. But he was always considered a legend. Legend. to go through those things and then whenever we are sitting in those conditions we try to imagine these people who laid down their lives people who forgot about their own uh, uh, comfort family comfort and everything yeah and just went ahead for the people who are of their own country country not related but still hmm. everything has to be done for everything the you only are. thing we all that binds us all is that one thing the nation the nation too we all are indians there is no categorization of that mm. there is no levels of that there is nothing such as you know like i am this guy i am that guy there is no categorization our passport is simple as blue and our mm. blood is as simple as red your hb may be high or low that is <laughs> a different matter but we right. all are indians if such as was a situation i guess in 1971 where there was some sort of i guess where there was an order by the government that someone from the family mm-hmm. within this age group will go and fight the war right and if that situation god forbid us that doesn't happen but if that comes up and if someone has to go from the family i think no indian would say no to it because in 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 india i think no sh- word should be banned because indians should not take no for an answer and mm-hmm. should not be given as an option as well we are the only i don't think that they would ever come because voluntarily people are so keen to serve in the army absolutely by god's grace these things are happening in this country itself you must have heard of other countries where some kind of uh, mandatory uh, services services required yes, yes but in india voluntarily people really want to come and even after being of from good families people who are financially very independent who don't need this government job but they have that kind of a uh, feeling patriotic feeling inside them that it is kind of a proud feeling i have seen those villages i have seen those um, uh, kasbe which we call it where a panchayat comes and honors the family whose son or whose daughter is going into Uh, army so okay i mean uh, you said patriotism basically so what exactly is that i mean like i mean you say that uh, you know the feeling of patriotism is there when when a soldier or when when any civilian wants to join an army right so what exactly is that patriotism is it just the joining part or you know the serving part but what exactly is it i mean that patriotism is i would say it has two faces one is one which is being felt by you and one which you are made to feel through the people that are around you 
so if i feel if i just talk about myself that patriotic feeling was when we go into that area and i go there and i did something to make myself feel i have that credibility to wear the uniform and call myself an officer of like if there is a patient who was serious who got injured or something like this we'll get back to this absolutely yeah, yeah. we'll uh, discuss how we evacuate a patient and everything but uh, once i have done that i know that there is a mother who wanted to see her son there is a wife who wanted to be with her husband there is a kid looking for a father to come home so when we do that we know that person was there in that dangerous area or going through that casualty at that point because he was serving the nation and during that time he injured himself or there was some kind of an incident that happened which made him come to me seeking medical attention and once i have done that so one once i have rescued him or once i have helped him in any kind of way so i know i have played my part being an indian being a part of this country so i feel patriotic inside that yes i have done something for my country the other phase that i was talking about is when i come back to my home and when i am traveling through a train or something like this there are multiple times there were multiple times that in emergency i had to come back home or then i had to go somewhere else reporting for a temporary duty or something and i did not have that uh, reservation in a train or somewhere i was getting late but once the ticket collector he comes and everything and he is asking ki why don't you have a ticket we were in an emergency and i am a officer in the indian army so the kind of respect they give you the way they deal with you because you are a part of the army and you are serving the nation and you know that they are giving you that leeway they are giving you that leniency if you don't have a ticket no problem we'll arrange something for you which they might not do for another person so that is the patriotism that is being that is we are feeling through someone else that is what we are being uh, accustomed to so for me that is what patriotism was but i feel i mean like, i i completely agree with you i mean i'm not saying no to this thing because definitely this is this is patriotism no doubt but what i feel that the genesis of patriotism would be is that if a soldier or anyone to avoid betraying the country he was told that you have to be patriotic you know that the generation of his feelings for patriotism there it generated i mean not to betray to avoid him to you know like uh, give away secrets or anything for that matter spying and everything trade and secrets of our units or anything so just to avoid that and you know there was this feeling of desh bhakti patriotism mm-hmm. i think that was the genesis and then it it came down to the mainlands in in other various forms and we lost that genesis I, that's what i feel what i would like to say in this thing is patriotism can never be taught Patriot- absolutely patriotism can never be forced upon because even if something is being forced upon on you i for my for personally i feel it has a negative impact on anything it's not just patriotism or that if you are telling a person to do something forcefully and even he was going to do that same thing but if you are telling him again and again knacking him again and again so most probably he will not do it that is reverse psychology a person doesn't want absolutely to do but then again patriotism what you are talking about ki that you don't have to uh, give away secrets of our nations you don't have to give away what we are planning or betray our nation that is that is what not patriotism is that is not being against your nation. nation but patriotism is something that i you are doing for your country just thinking not asking anything in return not being feared that i'll get punished if i don't do this probably in a state of capture not even that in you have seen in state of capture there was a very famous uh, won't name him the um, wing commander from air force I mean, of course captured. i mean those those are the, the, the those are the live incidences that we have seen that we have But, seen in our yeah. lifetime yeah. and patriotism is what made uh, bhagat singh leave his home leave his uh, age related things that comfort that he could have had but he went into those course conditions gave up his life that is what nobody wanted him to do that Absolutely. nobody forced him to do that and he was not scared of anyone that if i don't do this i'll get 
uh, I'll have these repercussions or there will be some negative consequences to me. So that is what patriotism is. So how would it differ from nationalism? Uh, like what, what makes it different from nationalism? Nationalism, I guess, if you just talk about is, you are not going against your country. If I am if putting in layman terms, patriotism is working for your country. Nationalism is not going against it. You are actually loving the people who are around you. Like uh, patriotism, I would say you are going to borders, you are fighting for it, you are working towards it, that's a different thing. Nationalism, you are being honest to your own government, you are being, you are paying your income tax on time, you are being a good Samaritan, you are uh, not trying to, when you are going outside, you are not trying to uh, gain attention by uh, going into those stereotypes that yes, my country is poor, I don't like the temperature there, it is so harsh, it is so screwed up and everything. Those kind, those kind of things. For me, nationalism is much more uh, vast, vast and deep. But, but patriotism is kind of narrow thing. Narrow focused. Focused that yes, this is what you have to do to make yourself proud or make your country, country proud. Country proud. Of you. That right. is it. So I mean, like, and then now, now that we, you know, we've cleared these things, we talked about this patriotism and nationalism. And coming back to the question that we started, and that was the different, like. What's the service difference between wartime and peacetime? I think peacetime we've addressed, but wartime, if you could, you know, like uh, shed some light. So on I'll it. let you know about the wartime. Like, if uh, let's say I'm in Ladakh and I start my day at 6 a.m. in the morning, I am walking so that I can be fit during if there is a war kind of a scenario, if I want to defend or if I want to attack, so I should be fit. So we are walking there daily for 5 kilometers, we are climbing uphill, we are coming back down. So that is one point of view that I have started my day like this. At 8 am in the morning I go to my medical inspection room and I start watching the sick report that we call it as an army. So the patients that are there uh, having problems, uh, a daily routine of OPD, outpatient department, we see what the problems are, we treat them at that point and then we come back. Then there is a kind of a conference between officers to share points what else we can do to make our uh, territorial hold a bit more stronger, a bit more credible and um, the uh, options that are given then there is uh, the commanding officer who then uh, commands us to do certain tasks in a daily life that yes you have to do this if the day if the task was given day before then we have to update on what we have done regarding that and if that task is complete it has to be updated and then that uh, channel is followed and that has that is updated to a very high level that this change has been done this change has not been done then there comes lunch time we have lunch with each other we rest for a little bit but then again you are always on call because you don't know when what uh, uh, vehicle will stop working you don't know when uh, there will be snowfall or there will be winds which may cause a little bit of harm to the shelters that we are living in. Uh, the heating equipment is to be checked, all these things are to be carried and these responsibilities are equally distributed between the officer regardless whether he is a doctor or not, regardless whether he is an engineer or not and these responsibilities and then that officer part of my life my comes, up comes up and that administrative protocols are taken, taken. care of. Yeah. Then like if I am really close to border we have route marches and patrols so there are we the area of that uh, border is demarcated between different units different brigades so we are the ones who are responsible for patrolling that unit patrolling that part of the border to see if there are any problems regarding uh, any uh, infiltrations or any signs we see so that we can be alarmed about all those things and taken care now this is the particular, this, this is a normal day to day activity which we are carrying in war time but then again every day a new challenge comes up, every day a different kind of story comes up. You can never actually plan what you are going to do the next day. If I have planned I have to wake up at 6 am in the morning, most probably at 3 am at the night I will get a call that a person is uh, hypothermic or a person is having problem breathing or there is some kind of a frost bite. The regular yeah. Uh, high altitude and cold climate related issues. So that is what I have to say right now. And what happens if there is like firing? Firing? Well, then, then what's, what's, 
how how the medical corp uh, medical corps work basically the army medical corps has different uh, hospitals at different places but the best thing about army medical corps are field hospitals there is something known as field hospitals which are actually mobile and they are actually capable of setting up an operation theater which is known as fsc forward surgical center okay. in remote areas in 48 hours they can set up a full functioning operation theater with the uh, power backup with the manpower with all the equipments the medications the rations which you need to uh, work and everything it is all available so we have a structure that from fsc there are surgical specialist medical spe- specialists and anesthesiologists they are there to take care of the patients but let's start from a field like a person is injured at the injured, border yeah. he has a bullet wound the first person he gets in contact with is a bfna bfna stands for battlefield nursing assistants all right which are again trained by medical officers those bfnas instantly administer protocols like bandaging at that point bandaging strongly so that a person does not bleed out giving injections for painkillers something you must have seen in movies like adrenaline is given so that a person's heart doesn't give out give up. so bfns don't actually give adrenaline but they bandage that wound so that a person is not bleeding out bleeding out okay and then they bring them back to nursing assistants which is an rap which is a right. regimental aid post post the regimental aid post has a medical officer so at that point we stabilize a soldier enough so that he can make that transport from an rap to an fsc, FSC. a forward surgical center so at an rap we administer uh, different kind of bandages we uh, give iv lines we stabilize the patient if you want to intubate the patient because he is not breathing we intubate the patient a bag and mask is uh, started cpr is started and patient is then instantly transported either by a road or either by a air evacuation to uh, the nearest uh, fsc, FSC. fsc life saving procedure is done like if there is a bullet in in the uh, leg let's Sorry, say yeah. if there is a bullet in the leg then it is not really if there is a lot of patients lot of casualties coming in it is not essential to take that bullet out at that point but it is really important to repair the vessel from where the bleeding is bleeding happening. so we repair that vessel we ligate that vessel we give the person painkillers we help them stabilize so that the person doesn't die or he does not lose a limb and then they are again transported to a well established general hospital military hospital or a base hospital where then these procedures are done so as to maintain the complete health of that patient i think the structure and the hierarchy in 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 maintaining during that war scenario hmm. is also there which helps you i think not just you i mean the whole of army middle corp uh, better the, yes. to function better that right. is what we learn in our medical officer basic course this is what we learn the main thing second uh, that is what we practice for in peace the field hospitals that are present in peace the field hospitals that are even in high altitude even if there is no war scenario they practice every year maybe twice a year they have ewts that is exercising with troops so that we are prepared we actually know what equipments we have whether they are working or not they have been there for the last 6 years whether they are functional whether they will be able to help us or not and how to load those vehicles how to get those things into place and how to set them up in 48 hours that is what takes practice a lot of planning a lot of uh, uh, discipline and that is what we practice out when it is actually a really beautiful thing when you see the coordination you see uh, people there is a man pack ads also advanced dressing station in which a dressing station is set up without any vehicles only the people the manpower that you have they only carry the load then there are some some ads some advanced dressing stations that are done with the help of mules because there are some parts where you cannot take vehicles again ahead with you and then there are there is a uh, mobile ot uh, i'll uh, show you someday uh, there is a <laughs> truck there is a truck which can be converted into an op- operation theater with a medical ward in less than one hour because that operation theater is already set up inside the truck 
it has the generator inside that truck it has those uh, equipments inside that truck it has everything so within one hour you can set it up at any place you can operate on the patient and you can take him away it's a beautiful beautiful thing so and i mean like just elaborating a little bit on this thing i mean like what happens what when there is a multiple uh, bullet in someone then again it comes to triage there is something known as triage right. like if a person has just one bullet but if that bullet is in the uh, head if it has entered your scalp and it is in your brain activity brain there is no use it's a very hard truth but it is the truth that if you are uh, giving manpower and that medical aid and that time to a person who cannot be saved then it is actually a loss for a person who can actually be saved so if a person who has multiple injuries and we know that that whatever we do even if we evacuate him through the fastest plane available he is not going to make it that is when we have to take that decision we have to triage the disaster management triage we have to do that yes we will not be able to save him let's focus our efforts on those people which can be saved at that point i think this would be the probably the hardest guideline or probably the hardest the hardest being a human and you being given a responsibility to decide that this person will be treated or not it's really hard you may face a little bit of uh, consequences to it some people might not consider what you have done to be right but then according to your med- medical ethics according to the protocols according to the sop that has been set it is to be taken care of if you are wasting time on a patient that cannot be saved then you are actually uh, taking that time away from a patient who could have been saved if you were there just to help him out i'll just compare just a simple scenario yeah, if uh, there is a person again who has three bullets in his lungs no matter what you do you are not going to be you are not going to save him because it is going to give out his heart is going to give out and he is going to bleed out but there is another person who is 1 km away from you and he has a bullet injury in his leg but one of his artery major artery has been severed you can go there you can ligate his artery and you can save him but if you are not there in the next 15 minutes he will die as well but if you are taking him there is a 90% chance that he will die but there is a 100% chance that the person with a wound on his leg will live if you reach there so you have to make that tough decision and you have to go over so is there a like a one medical officer available or there is a whole team out there dekho there is one medical officer available in one unit one medical officer that is authorized in one unit then again as i told you fsc one rap is given to one regiment then if there are three regiments that are fighting consecutively so those three uh, regiments have their separate regimental medical, medical officers a separate rap and those are converging on towards the same fsc which is then again transferring patients to different specialities according to the uh, conditions or the injuries that they have after performing the life saving procedure I think the life of a medical army medical officer is is very difficult full of challenges and the most difficult one is to take hard decisions no matter be it peace time or war time because if you're serving at high altitude i think the issues with the high serving in the high altitudes comes up with uh, you know the functioning of the body the different way it serves and everything and then he has to take care of himself also because That he is also a human being he is also serving the other officers there the infantry officers there they also take care of you in a lot of ways yes yeah, the administrative things they are much more particular about even if we need something it is uh, their help and their coordination with us that we are able to procure those things and second wherever a human life is involved it is going to be hard you just imagine the plight of that commanding officer who knows that we are going to die if we move forward and attack this unit but for the nation and the command he is getting from his seniors or for that patriotism he has to command his men to attack, attack. and move forward, forward knowing that 50% of them will not be able to come back that is also a very harsh decision and then coming down 
the guy who is moving with the gun who is on the front line who is running towards the enemy and standing there knows that next bullet may have his name written on it but he is still running towards it knowing a person who dies is then free of all the consequences because he has done it he is now over with it the people who have to deal with the consequences the people who have to deal with the death of a person are the people who are still alive on the earth so it is also difficult for him to sacrifice his life that is what patriotism is in my eyes i mean absolutely i mean we we hear different ways different variations sure. but there is something that is like the one one definition and this has to be probably one of the i uh, that very uh, it's really really difficult to define patriotism for me in one line it's kind of a feeling which maybe i won't be able to i think to that's why it's abstract abstract definitely definitely because it can't be defined Let's no one can define it Let's no one person two person can define it patriotism true and i mean just 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 la- probably one of the few last questions like is it just related to the to being a soldier and patriot that's that's the way it has to be defined or can be defined for anyone for that matter it can be defined to anyone but i think that patriotism is more experienced first hand by the people who are actually there there are practices that are being held like if i am a related to indian army and if i go to a theater and there is a national anthem that was going on before i was in the army i used to stand up because i should it's it's the national anthem that is being played in the movie theater and i should stand up that is right but now when i go there just because i have experienced all these things first hand now when i'm there when i'm listening to the national anthem i want to stand up there is a difference difference absolutely it. absolutely so i want to stand up i want to know and the things that i'm hearing the words i am listening and then that go, defines india going into those flashbacks and realizing what you have done for this country then realizing what this country has done for you it's beautiful that is i cannot i mean i think it. the country has given us much more than what we even ima- what we can even imagine and yet we ask the question what the country has given us no no i know if the country had not given us anything we would not have been there fighting fighting we are uh, repaying our debt absolutely that is what i think absolutely. about it but it's we all are repaying our debts to the country to the motherland i mean in in, in one way the or the other true, everyone is on national duty some way or the other some way or the other too and that is why it's just beautiful to experience it first and it's really nice once in a lifetime experience and i loved it on this note i'll end this this conversation thank you so much for uh, coming to you know speak on on about what you actually do thank you so much major thank it you it was a pleasure it was a pleasure thank you for uh, giving me a platform to tell all the people outside and uh, sharing my experiences hopefully it will be uh, a little more inspirational to some people who want to join the armed forces and i would really request everyone to be patriotic or to be into nationalism i don't know just stay true to your country if you absolutely are, yes just stay true to that thank you so much thank you major thank you so much